Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this pod, we discuss the late pick five at Gulfstream on Saturday, March 4th, 2023. This is show number 215, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, it's NHC week next week, and we're not going to have a pod we are going to be competing for the big bucks. When do you arrive in Vegas? I'm currently coming in on Thursday. I could not go on Wednesday. I had to wait till Thursday. So I'm coming in late, later than I probably would like or planned. I will be, I will be arriving late on Tuesday night. Hopefully not too late. Weather looks okay leaving New York. So I'm hopeful for a safe arrival. Yeah, I hope everybody has a safe trip that's headed out there. I know many, many people that are headed that way from points in all different directions. Really looking forward to seeing people I haven't seen in a while and just enjoying the NHC. And like you said, maybe one of us or both of us will have a good few days and and make some money. Who knows? Maybe even make some big money. Play in the Sport of Kings NHC Qualifier starting every month. Each month, the top 50 players who are NHC Tour members advance to Round 2, which is Breeders' Cup weekend. In that final, 450 players will duke it out playing all 14 Breeders' Cup races. Two people will win a seat to the NHC, and the top 100 will get Tour points. Join the NHC Tour before any monthly Round 1 begins. If you join the Tour, you could win up to 20 seats to the NHC in free contests. For only 50 bucks, it's the best deal in racing. If you sign up for the tour, use promo code SPORTOFKINGS so we get credit. If you haven't signed up for our free contest with free DRFPPs, go to sportofkings.net right now. Thank you and good luck. And we have a special returning guest. He's a racing analyst for NBC, TVG, and In the Money Media. He has his own podcast called The Matt Bernier Show. He is the one and only. Matt Bernier. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, guys. This is always one of, I think it's one of the more informative sort of podcasts that there is just because both of you have great opinions, but also you you bring on the best of the best as far as guests are concerned. So I apologize if I, if I bring that down a, a rung or two. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, or talk yourself up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, Matt. Um, wh- are you uh, are you working Are you working TVG or NBC this weekend? Yes, I will be on TVG slash FanDuel for both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday, I'll be on the first half of the card, and then I'll do a little bit of reporting, do some interviews in the paddock, 
And then on Sunday, I will be on for the last six races, which kind of corresponds with the Rainbow Six being forced out. So assuming it doesn't get scooped uh, on Fountain of Youth Day or by the time we're recording this, um, I would assume we'll be looking at a, a relatively large uh, Rainbow Six pool in that sort of, you know, I don't know, ballpark at $5 million, somewhere thereabouts. So I'll be on for that on Sunday. All right. <clears throat> and um, it looks like we had you on for the uh, for the Florida Derby last year. So um, so we, we've got you set for our three-year-old preps. You're one of our three-year-old prep specialists. What tools are you using for handicapping these days, Matt? So my sort of go-to is the daily racing form as far as the you know, the, the paper past performances are concerned. I, it's just something I've been comfortable with for forever and a day, it seems like. And, and also at the time that I was with the racing form. Uh, but there are other pieces that I use that kind of go along with it. I'm still a big proponent of the speed figures or the pace figures uh, produced from Craig Milkowski and Timeform US. I think Craig is as good as anyone at, at coming up with figs. Uh, and I also use HTR, which is, uh, I know a lot of contest players in the past have used uh, it's a computer program. It's sort of rolling in the, the Sartan methodology and um, looking at velocity ratings necessarily as opposed to just a, a raw figure. It's more feet per second based kind of thought training and, and um, going into decision models and, and things like that. So um, it, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk, I think. And I'd be curious what you guys think. I know some people are strictly numbers people and others would rather watch tape and look at charts and things like that. I try to marry the the group sometimes better than others, but um, to me, I, I, I want to have as much data available as possible, maybe to almost to a fault, but um, I try to try to blend it all together and, and whatever it spits out. I hope, I hope the horse runs. <laughs> well, uh, HDR is definitely a powerful tool. I, I know a lot of the top handicappers use it. Chris, did you have any questions for Matt? Well, I agree with him. I, I like to use the mix of the tools. I think I'm kind of curious. So if you're now that you you're on the TVG slash FanDuel and you have to cover, I guess, the first half of the card tomorrow at Gulfstream, getting ready for that, do you do anything differently from a handicapping preparation standpoint than you used to do before you had to cover, you know, races on TVG? The, the only real change for me, Chris, is when we have times where we need to juggle, let's say, you know, three, four tracks at one time. Um, I, you know, but like anyone else, there's only so much time that you can devote to certain things. So let's say this weekend, I'm at Gulfstream. The, the vast majority, I would say 90% of my handicapping time is devoted to Gulfstream Park. There's that other 10% that I need to go through and not necessarily sit there and give you the, the soup to nuts of the third at Tampa, but at least have an idea of how the horses run, what kind of races are they coming out of, what kind of condition are we dealing with today, and, and sort of pace scenarios and things like that. And I think, you know, it's I, I am certainly not, you know, crying, you know, poor or making this out to be a, a difficult thing, but it is, you just kind of have to recognize that there's only so much time that you can go through and, and have a, enough knowledge to speak semi-knowledgeably about, you know, these different races that are ongoing. So I've, I've had to get back into that kind of mode of, all right, 
wherever I'm stationed, whether it's here, fairgrounds, Oaklawn, wherever else it may be, you know, 90% of the time goes there. The other 10, you got to kind of fill in with some of the stuff that, that you may, uh, you know, be thrown your way during your shift. So it, it's just kind of a bit of a juggling act, but we all, we all find our sort of ways to go about handling it. Yeah, it's almost like a contest, like in the NHC, yeah. where you have a few tracks that you you're familiar with and comfortable with, and you focus on. But you got you have probably have to play, you know, with mandatory races, and and to play all your you know um, eighteen plays for the day, you have to look at other tracks, and so it kind of forces you uh, to go outside your comfort zone sometimes. Yeah, and it's on top of that. Not only is it outside of your comfort zone, but it's it's trying to understand how racing surfaces act that you're not necessarily familiar with, or you don't, you know, maybe I don't play a ton of time at Laurel, but if it's part of our window and, and for whatever reason, we are the ones that are responsible for, for handling those races. I, you know, I, at least at the very least want to go back over the past few weeks and see some of the charts and how these horses have run. If there've been a number of horses that have won being forwardly placed or, you know, have horses making these big wide moves from the back of the pack succeeded. Um, again, by no means is it the soup to nuts, but you're at least, you want to be familiar with sort of running styles and the way certain tracks seem to be playing at that given time. Interesting. All right. Thanks. Well, let's, uh, let's get started uh, with this pick five. It is going to start with the Gulfstream 10th race. The 10th race is the Windstar Gulfstream Park Mile, grade two, mile on dirt. Purse of 200000 for four-year-olds and up. Matt, can you beat Charge It? Well, uh, Scott, maybe you can. I, I just couldn't see past him. Um, and it's certainly outside of my typical handicapping play that I, I don't look to, to be backing a, a four to five shot. And, and frankly, he'll be shorter than that, I would assume, in this race probably going to be two to five or three to five. I, I just think he's way the horse to beat. And if you want to go through and make cases for some of the other horses in this race, I, I think the interesting thing is a lot of these runners are, are remarkably consistent where they kind of run their race specifically. I think of a horse like endorsed. And if, if endorsed comes back and runs the races that he typically runs sort of a, let's call it a mid 90 buyer speed figure. You get up into sort of the, the mid one teens uh, as far as time form us is concerned. I, you would need charges to regress and regress pretty substantially in my eyes. I think he moves forward. Todd Pletcher's also talked about this horse. Like he thinks he could be kind of the boss of this older handicap division this year. And I thought his return was really solid. I'm not worried about the one turn mile. In fact, his best races, I think have come going a one turn mile. I, I just, for me, he's sort of the lone a, and then we try to just move on from there. So it's charging for me. Okay, charge it. Uh, clearly the horse to beat. Chris, what are you thinking? Well, it, as much as, as I am allergic to chalk dust, um, I, I can't go against charge it. I mean, everything I talk about on these podcasts about development of horses and how, you know, we have this golden pattern of these four-year-olds that were on the Triple Crown Trail, maybe rushed along a little bit. Um, showed lots of talent, something goes wrong, they come off, they go off the, you know, off the trail, come back, and then they, they run a good race off the bench, kind of a tightener or prep, and then that second race off the layoff is usually the best race of their life. 
I mean, charge it is like a prototypical horse. And not only that is, you know, his C game probably wins this race and you're probably going to see a B plus in here. So I just think he crushes his field. I think he's the best horse in training right now. I don't know if he's a mile and a quarter horse, but you know, mile and eighth or less, I think he's going to boss the, the division and, you know, he might as well just pencil him in as the Met winner if he stays healthy. I, I'm being hyperbolic on purpose. But, um, you know, I just don't think you can beat him. Unfortunately, uh, to me, it's charged it all the way. I do have like an underneath play maybe, but I'll let you weigh in on your, you know, maybe you have someone you're going to try to beat charge it with, Scott. So I'll let you talk first. Well, I would have liked to. Um, and <clears throat> the numbers say charge it is going to win. Then I watched the race and he won with such ease and he galloped out great that yeah, I just, I have a hard time beating him. So, so I'm not going to try. And it was, uh, you know, it was basically a buy race for me. So, um, we'll throw it out to you guys for uh, possible horses to complete the exacta. Just one thing on that, you mentioned how he looked in his last race. Well, I, I watched, I was surprised that he, that Fletcher ran him back a month after that race. But I watched his workouts, and he's a monster. He's a beast. I mean, he crushed Emmanuel, who's not a bad horse at all, running a little bit. I don't know if he's later or earlier on this card. I think he's earlier on the card. He's a pretty nice horse. He's, he's become a turf horse now, but he just toyed with him. And he looks just physically imposing, and he's just got a, 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 just a, a huge stride. I mean, he's, he's the real deal if he stays healthy. It's, that's the big if. You know, I, he's not, you know, he's just, he's going to be a really good horse if he stays healthy. And I just don't see him losing here unless something really unexpected happens. I think to that point too, Chris, I think uh, Todd was quoted in the racing form earlier in the week saying, you know, the, the quick turnaround is not atypical of a Pletcher runner at this level, but he doesn't do it all the time. And he only does it if he thinks the horse is basically kicking the stall down. And, and that's the way it sounds like this one is that he just said, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, I believe it was Mike Welsh's story, but the idea that they're working backwards from the main targets, which are the Met and the Whitney. And to do that, this sets up very well for a race like the Oakland Handicap about six, seven-ish weeks from now, probably six weeks from now. Uh, and then that would set him up very nicely for a run in the Met. So if he's ready to go, and, and I also wonder too, I mean, these all these trainers know or have an idea anyway, of who may or may not show up in some of these spots. I, you know, if, if he was really terrified of someone, I don't know that he would have run him. I think he knows he's got the best horse. If he's doing well, and, and you know, you guys have already talked about it, assuming he stays healthy, um, there's no reason to think that he can't be the best horse or one of the best horses uh, in training for the older runners. So I think it's just, if you're trying to beat him, you're, you're trying to project something unforeseen, which to me in the long run is a losing cause. Yeah, but it's why you don't want to bet him at, you know, two to five or one to five because there's a million ways to lose a horse race. So I don't know if he's value as a win bet. I'm not, but, you know, to if you're going to play the pick five, he seems high, you know, a high probability winner, put it that way. And not value, but, you know, he's, like you said, unforeseen. There are a lot of unforeseen things that could happen. But, um, you know, if you ran this race, uh, a thousand times he's going to win you know eight or nine hundred of them for sure yeah i agree okay well uh <clears throat> are we ready to move on to the next one then 
because uh, I did want to mention just as an underneath play, I kind of like the two horse steel sunshine. There's a lot of speed in here and it's the kind of race where a horse like charge, it could just break the hearts of all the horses on or near the lead. I don't think necessarily he's going to go wire to wire, but at some point he'll take control of the race, probably ahead of the lane. And if they all start spitting the bit, you could get a clunk up horse. And to me, steel sunshine kind of fits that he could just clunk up and maybe run second at a price, um, you know, behind charge it. So that's the only opinion I have in terms of the verticals. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to add to that. Um, you know, maybe I'll captain off a lengthy layup if you're trying to find kind of that suck up special. But um, for me at that point, it would just kind of be taking stabs. I do agree with the way Chris kind of laid out the race that it could end up being a bit of a, you know, charge it, gut them, anybody else close to him, spits it and, and packs it in and you get somebody that just clunks along and, and grabs a piece of this thing who that is you know your guess is as good as mine it, it won't put it this way aside from the pick five it's not a race i'm going to have any money in. all right let's go to the 11th race then the honey fox it's a grade three mile on turf first of 150,000 for phillies marriage four-year-olds and up chris your turn to get us started yeah we have another kind of uh strong favorite in here not a charge it level favorite but speak of the devil you know if she runs her race like she ran off the bench last year she will crush this field she's just much better but there's a more questions around her she doesn't have the race under her belt um you know so she is coming off the long layoff and when i watched her workout i thought she got outworked by a horse named market segmentation who's not anything special so to me you know it's She's a little bit more of a question, but definitely you know, the, the one to beat. Uh, there's not a whole lot in here, I didn't think. But the one horse I landed on is maybe the alternative and the one I'll go with for pod purposes as a, as a potential price play is the eight horse Miss Yearwood. Um, she, I think, has the most upside. Um, her, I think she's better going longer but she has won at a mile and a 16th before so i i think you know that she could win at this distance especially you know coming off the layoff maybe she's a little fresher um but you know her races of she, she's got a lot of upside she is coming off the layoff this could be maybe a prep for a longer race but they did put her in a stake so you know maybe they think she's ready to go she has a real fast workout a recent work which you know, that Palm Meadows turf course produces fast times, but 58 flat is pretty fast even for that um, turf course. So he's been, she's been training sharply and, you know, she's got that upside. She's not going to beat, um, speak of the devil, if speak of the devil runs a race, but if she doesn't, I don't know. I don't see why she couldn't beat the rest. And she's 12 to one on the morning line and you'll probably get that. So Miss Yearwood, the eight horses who I'll go with for the pod. Scott, maybe you're on mute. Oops. <laughs> I said Miss Yearwood. I said Miss Yearwood would make your yearwood. Hey, there it is. That's good. <laughs> and I and, and and there was radio silence, and I was like, I guess that didn't go over very well. <laughs> Matt, what are you thinking? Well, so when I first went through the race, you know, speak of the devil sort of jumps out off the page at you but I, I guess i continue to be reminded 
not just going through the charts, but a number of people have brought it up. And I'm curious what either of you think about it. The the run at, at Churchill on Derby weekend for Speak of the Devil, she was spectacular. I, I thought she was just unreal. And then she came back and bombed in the Justa game, granted against really quality Phillies and Mares, whether it's Rico Glory or Wakanaka or an Italian. But there were so few horses that handled it seemed like you either handled the, the Churchill turf or you didn't. And if you handled it, not only did you handle it, but you ran a hole in the wind. And I, I guess there's a part of me that says at seven to five or somewhere thereabouts, knowing how this entire sequence could play out, I, I just don't know that I need her. If she wins, she's the most likely winner for sure. I just, I don't know. I, I, to me, she's kind of the one that I'm going to fade in here. Uh, White Frost, I could certainly see the case for. I was here uh, back on January 26th. I thought she ran really well. She broke my heart because the horse that I bet that day, Miss Delicious, was also in this race. I thought she ran really well to run second at 15 to 1, but she was no match for this horse coming off a lengthy layoff. I just, as the second choice, you know, she doesn't really do it for me. There were two horses that I ended up landing on. One of them is down on the inside, the other, Chad, in here, Faith in Humanity. She would be sort of my second choice, just on the merit that I like her versatility. She can go. She can sit just off of a target and still be effective. She ran against quality three-year-olds last year, whether it was Amo Ray, who's come back to win the Bayacoa, or Gino Romantica, who came back and won the QE2 last year at Keeneland. But my top pick, and it's a bit of a stab, kind of similar to Chris's idea with numbers and, and prices, fast as flight needs to prove that she's this good for Brian Lynch, the 10. She's 12 to 1 on the morning line. But I thought she was awesome, awesome, awesome when she won last time out. That was at the end of January. Uh, there was a wicked pace in front of her. Yes, she had a great setup, but she loomed up about four or five paths rounding the far turn and rolled down the center of the racetrack. And more importantly, and I think the thing that, it, you know, it, it's a bit of conjecture. There's no way to really back this up definitively one way or the other. The fifth place finisher in that race earned a 57 buyer. She's consistently a horse that earns buyers in sort of the mid-70 range. And she came back in her next start and earned a 75. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that the number for fastest flight should be a, you know, a 100 buyer. But maybe it should be a low 90. And if it's a low 90 at 12 to 1, she's not that far off some of the other girls in here. She's run well at Gulfstream in the past. I don't think the distance is well, – clearly distance isn't an issue. Um, I, I think she might get a little bit lost in the shuffle – I'll go with her as a top pick, the 10 fastest flight. I like it. I like it. Fastest flight. Um, definitely, <clears throat> I'm edging towards making her use. Um, I actually landed on Touch of Class. Touch of Class is fast. It has excuses for her last two. One was on dirt. The other involved trouble, which I watched the replay, and it was kind of hard to see the trouble because I, I didn't see a head-on. But I'm going to trust the caller and um, and assume that it was just an off race. She shows a sizzling workout since her last. She moved into the uh, David Fox barn, and maybe she just likes Florida. And, and you know, three races ago, she she won big. That was sprinting, but um, she's also run pretty well going a mile and. When she did run the two races that she ran in a mile, they were both the, her best efforts at the time. So I think if she can get back to that race at 21, 
20 to one, it's worth finding out if, um, if she can do it. And then the other horse that I would use is white frost. I thought, uh, I didn't watch the race, but it looks pretty. She came back off a layoff, ran a small top as a fresh five-year-old. Now goes second off layoff, should improve and might be this good. So touch of class on top, white frost also using. So we each have our, our a different long shot. I like that. And we're all, I, I agree with you both. I think kind of like the white frost. Um, I think I'm, I just to address the one point that Matt made about speak of the devil. I totally agree with everything you said about the Churchill turf course, but her European form crushes this field too. So, I mean, it's not like that For came sure. out of nowhere. Um, and maybe the num- the figures inflated, but I mean, if you just go back to all her races in Europe, we're good enough to handle this field. So, um, and I'm not really basing it off of that performance. The only thing I want to point out about that is that was off a layoff as well. So, you know, she's fired off the layoff before. Um, but like I said, I wasn't impressed watching her workout. I don't watch all her workouts, so maybe she never looks good in her workouts. I don't know. Um, and I know Chad Brown is, gets horses ready for races like this all the time, and they run huge. So I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if she wins easily. Um, but, you know, there does seem like, unlike Charge It, there's some reasons to think maybe you can beat her in this race. And we've got some... We all have a you know different alternative, but you know if, if she doesn't fire, it seems pretty wide open. Would either of you use her in the sequence, knowing that let's? I mean, we all kind of are in agreement with charge it. You know, would you use her at a really really short number, or would you just pitch her and say, look, if she beats us, so be it. We're we're out. Toss. If you have some good prices and a couple other legs then I could see you having a ticket with her on it with those other horses on there. But, you know, that's the only way. Yeah, and I'm inclined to, to go with, with Scott. And I agree with you, Chris. I just, I think this is the sequence that even if you beat a favorite, I don't, I mean, maybe this is the leg. I don't know that it's going to be something out of left field that nobody could sniff out. Um, so for that reason, I'll just toss her and say, look, if if she wins, I'll tip my cap, shake Chad's hand and say, you did it again. (laughs) Speak of the devil. (laughs) Yeah, speak of the devil. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, so we we have some prices in that one, and I think we may have some prices in the next one. It's the Devona Dale, grade two, mile on dirt, purse of 200,000 for three-year-old fillies. Matt, what are you thinking? Well, I, I think the race certainly goes through red carpet ready. Um, Rusty Arnold has, has talked about her is potentially being sort of a, a special talent. And for someone that's been in the game, as long as he has, you know, I, I don't take that lightly. I, I think she could be very, very talented. And he seems to also think I, I happen to catch up with him after the forward gal that longer might actually be better than shorter for her. So, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to think that she may be, excelling doing something she's not necessarily wanting to do the the problem then became if not her then who and i'm trying to convince myself about you know maybe atomically just needed that last race i picked and bet her in the breeders cup and you know she was too close to the way that pace unfolded i thought she'd be a little bit farther back but i still get the vibe that she may be better going longer than this one turn you know positano at sunset maybe you draw a line to that forward gal given the start and you give her a mulligan, 
the, the only other horse I was really mildly intrigued with, and I get that undervalued asset makes sense, um, is Infinite Diamond. And, and I know she didn't beat really anything in that cash run. I don't think it was a particularly good field. And she had a pretty dream trip, all things considered, down on the wood. But I like the way that she finished. This track's not a problem. The distance isn't a problem. And if for whatever reason, do you think a couple of these other fillies can keep red carpet ready honest early? Maybe Infinite Diamond works out another kind of ground-saving trip and, and can punch on down the lane. Uh, I'll be rooting her home for, for my friend Andy, but um, I think she will have her work cut out for her with red carpet ready in here. So I'm going to go 3-2. Uh, red carpet ready on top. Okay. Uh, and Infinite Diamond, the price, that is two for two at the distance and two for three at Gulfstream. Chris, where are you at? Yeah, I, um, I mean, these the horses that are the favorites in here, like Red Carpet Ready is a good example, are trying to do something they haven't done, a stretch out. It may turn out the horse likes to stretch out, um, but it is something new. And as a favorite, that's always a big question to ask. And it's not the only horse in here stretching out, and there's a lot of speed. So, you know, I'm willing to take a shot against red carpet ready. Um, and, you know, if I can get a horse like Infinite Diamond, who's two for two going a mile at Gulfstream, uh, has just as much upside, I think. Um, ran a huge race in its first route race last year as a two-year-old. You know, they tried it in the grade one, kind of got parked wide, something went wrong. They, they, you know, they didn't persevere to the finish, but it came right back after a layoff and ran a great race. I thought it did get a good trip, but man, once the rail opened up, it just burst through that opening and, and just won easily. So uh, I, you know, second off a layoff after that performance, I like Infinite Diamond a lot. If you can get anything close to 10 to 1, that seems like a really good price. So uh, I'm definitely on Infinite Diamond and two horse in here. Okay, I'm going to join you on Infinite Diamond. She's been a buzzsaw in her last two races going one turn. You can toss that uh, that Breeders' Cup race. She's at the configuration where she ran those two giant numbers. She's got great spacing. Her numbers are as fast as any. Um, she's, she's got a pace advantage. She, she, she'll she be able to sit off the hot pace. I, I like her a lot. I mean, uh, if we get eight to one, that'd be great. Six to one, I'd, I'd accept that too. Yeah, jump back in, Matt, if you have anything else to add. No, I, you know, I, I, again, I think it really goes back to the rest of the field in that I had such a hard time trying to make a case for anyone. I, I guess Leave No Trace is going to attract a bit of attention. My concern, and I don't know how you guys feel, I, I probably do this to a fault. The fact that from start one to start four, and I know she did really four wildly different things in those four starts. She basically ran the same race each time. And and maybe the time away she's going to you know have, have developed and matured and and maybe she comes back a, a, a even better version. But I don't know. I, I just I, I didn't see enough. I didn't think anyway to to really entice me to use her. I guess if you were looking for a C kind of play, if you're using the ABC method, I usually just go with mains and backups. Um, maybe she would be the deepest of backups. But beyond that, I, I just had a hard time making cases for anybody else in the field. 
Yeah, I um, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, we've talked about this before. The three-year-old Colts from two to three, the good ones usually develop pretty significantly. The Phillies, not so much. A lot of them are precocious and never really develop. And so to me, it's really a bad bet if you're going to have a horse that has to improve um, coming off the layoff, like leave no trace to win. Um, you know, I, I'm always against those kinds of horses. He's five to one on the morning line. That seems high for a horse coming out of, you know, the Breeders' Cup race and, you know, running second to Wonder Wheel. I don't know how it's five to one on the morning line. I would have expected that horse to be the favorite. Um, maybe it will go off as favorite, but certainly going to be a lower price than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not at five to one. I'm not as anxious to play against it, but I think that that's that morning line is off. Same with undervalued assets. To me, that one's a lot like red carpet ready. There's upside there. Um, they're stretching out. You know, they both might do better with the stretch out, but they also both might struggle a bit if it's a fast pace and they're trying to stretch out, um, you know, in a race with more quality than they've seen before and with a, a faster early pace than they've seen before. Anything else, Scott? You're on mute. <laughs> there I go again. There I go again. Okay, one so more the thirteenth strike out. Yeah. Uh, one one more race to do it. Third race, thirteenth race. It's the Mac Diarmida, Grade Two, mile and three eighths on turf. Purse of two hundred thousand for four year olds and up. Chris, your turn. All right. Well, we love these races on the podcast. These two turn route turf races actually three turns even better three turns get an extra turn for the same price um you know they it's all about trips these horses there's usually not a dominant horse and i and this is a great example to me that um some of the horses are going to get bet um but they're probably going to get over bet the favorites and there's a lot of live prices in here uh there were several horses I was interested in, but there's one I've been, you know, I actually been waiting for it to come, come back and be entered in a race like this. And it's, so it's easy for me to go out with the six Bemas boy. Um, this horse, I, um, I, after its last race, I've been waiting to see, you know, we'll, we'll make her put it in a race just like this, a long race, a long marathon turf race, because since he's gotten this horse, uh, doesn't get to the races very often but it always runs well and at at the longer distances like a this is not quite a mile and a half but a mile and a half is he's had four starts under maker two wins a second and a third and one of those wins was at Gulfstream. and um his last race was a great prep i mean it was clearly a prep it was a you know, this horse is is genuine marathon runner and you know that was just to get him ready and it's kind of horse that doesn't stay at the race as long, so they're not going to mess around. I would think that, you know, the second off the layoff, off the good prep going a mile, they're going to have him fully cranked. They've given him two months since then to, to you know, to, because who knows, he might not run again for another year, or he may never run again. He's an eight-year-old. But this is the time for him, the second off a layoff. And, you know, he's got positional speed, 
and he got a decent post. I don't particularly love the rider, but I think he's the best maker and he'll get overlooked as, you know, I think makers got three or four in here. So 20 to one on the morning line, you could get that in a field like this. You might even get lost and go, go higher. So I really like the six horse Bema's boy as, you know, a potential bomber with a legitimate chance to win this race. Bema's boy always improves second off a layoff. Matt, what are you thinking? You know, I, I could certainly see it. Um, I, I'm actually going to go with another maker in here and it has more to do. I've never been a fan of this horse if we're calling a spade a spade, but I, I thought value engineering brand too well to lose in that McKnight handicap last out. And if you want to make the case that sort of last time was the time at 10 to one, and why would you want him at half that price now? It, it has more to do with the fact that I, I still think five to one is a, a fair number on a horse like this. He's six on the morning line. You know, if you look at the way the race played out, there was a pretty hot pace signed on and value engineering was the first one to make the move and the eventual winner red knight basically followed him he towed red knight right into the race and red knight was able to run him down a deep stretch but all things considered i thought it was a really good effort from value engineering arguably the best he's ever run even though you know his figs would suggest he runs the same race or has anyway for the past three years um i like the slight turn back from 12 furlongs to 11 here today and i i still think too there's a chance that this is only the third start that he'll be in Maker's Barn. I still think there's a chance that you get another forward move in him. It's not often that that you move Barnes from Chad Brown to someone else and maybe you get improvement. But I, I think Value Engineering is a, a very logical runner. I don't think I'm you know reinventing the wheel with that one. Uh, but that's where I'm going to go. I like him quite a bit. He'd be a lone A for me. All right, I'll take your two makers, and then I'm going to throw in. Another horse that's a little bit speculative, and that is Barberini. Barberini shows a circle back pattern, says he is going to run his best race ever. I was looking for an excuse for his last race, and you know, the number came up good. The, the number came up okay at Tampa, and the pattern, the 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 you know, the sheet pattern looks ripe to me. It's a, it's an 032 pattern, meaning that you know he ran his best race three races ago, which was a mile and an eighth at Laurel, and then he uh, regressed a little bit, <clears throat> going a mile and eighth on a mile and five eighths on synth, and then in his next race he improved from that, even though it doesn't look like he did. Uh, it was a pretty uh, uh, salty field, including Emmanuel, who we mentioned earlier, and. Um, I'm going to trust the numbers. He gets in at only 118. He has got a decent post position. I think he could shock the world at 30 to one. Barberini, <laughs> you you will. He will be higher than 30 to one. I think you can bet on that. Um, I'm not sure he's going to win, but you'll get your price. Um, Matt mentioned the McKnight, and there were two horses I I was sort of touting on the pod that came out of that race. And I thought they both had legitimate excuses and deserve, you know, a second chance. Uh, one is another big bomber and that's the four horse time for trouble. To me, you know, this is a horse that at these 
you know, marathon distances, he's run very well. Um, and he had all kinds of trouble in that McKnight right from the start. And um, he, he, he got way, he shuffled all the way back to like the back of the pack. And that's not where he wants to be. And, you know, if he can draw a better post here and, and get a little better trip, he's got a, a much better rider. He's very live. He's another one at his best. There's no reason why he couldn't win this race. Um, and a big price. And the other is a bond who got wildly overbet in that race, but he had the trip he wanted for about a quarter of a mile until Julian Le Peru just pulled the ripcord on his horse and the horse shot up to the front and cooked up the pace and pretty much turned it into a pace meltdown race. So I'm kind of kind of downgrade all the horses that were flying late, like value engineering, although value engineering did make maybe an earlier move than a few of the others. Uh, I just thought, you know, it turned out to be a perfect setup for those closers, thanks to the the, the crazy move on the backside by the horse that Le Peru was riding. And that really hurt a bond. Um, if he gets a, a better trip and they switch to Rosario now, or he, or they're forced to switch, it looks like Saez might have chosen astronaut. Um, so with Rosario, you don't ever know what he's going to do. Um, he may not, he may even try to wrangle this horse back off the lead. We'll see. But I don't know. I think he's going to get a different trip than he did last time. Uh, and, you know, he certainly is capable of winning. So those two, I think I'm going to use, I'll probably play exactas with them as boy, you know, in the verticals in here and probably use them in the um, pick five as well. Um, because I thought that McKnight was really a tale of trips and pace. And I'm going to try to flip the script in that race and assume that the ones that were closer to the lead may do better or the ones that had all kinds of trouble could do better. And the ones that sort of tripped out, I'm going to fade. So that, that's how I'm going to play that race. The, the only other thing I, I would add is let's say you're someone who you look at this field top to bottom and no one does anything for you because they're all, you know, this is a grade two. This is probably a grade three kind of field. It's not like we've got superstars. Um, he's got to draw in, but in instances like this, I'm intrigued by the fresh face, the horse that look, he may not be able to run with these, but I don't know that he can't. And, and Marwad's only been allowed to go really long one time in his career. And he won by open length. He, he rallied into a slow pace. That was that last start at the end of January. Again, if you're someone that doesn't have a, a real opinion on any of the other horses already running or, or scheduled to run, just just take the take the new shooter. More often than not, that's the way to go. It, I, I don't want to say it's lazy handicapping, but you get to a point where you go, I know this horse. I don't like him. He's trip dependent. He's this. He's that. I don't know that Marwad can't do it, so why wouldn't I find out at 10 or 15 to 1? So he'd have to draw in, but if he does, I would be using him as a backup. I uh, I agree with you on Marwad. Uh, you know, the post would be tough, but he certainly can do it. I mean, his, his he's improved every single race, and his last race was uh, his best. I, I think yeah, it's interesting, the, um... like you say, that draw would be no bargain, but I, I think he's... He's at least one if you're trying to go deeper with your pick. I, I would I would include if he gets in. Yeah, I um think he has a lot of upside. Um, maybe not in this race because 
one thing to note that this race starts really close to that first turn. So you could really get hung out wide um, around three turns if you draw that outside post. So I don't know if he's got the kind of positional speed or maybe they just completely drop back on him, but it's going to be tough to work a trip from that post. But I absolutely agree that that horse has upside for sure. And he's probably going to win a race like this at some point. I just don't know if it'll be tomorrow. You may not even run tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, although right. in a, a full field, there's a good chance maybe somebody scratches, right? You know, he's got a, you know, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets in out in a 12-horse field, maybe draws in. We'll see. Okay, we'll move to the final race of the card. It's the 14th, the Fountain of Youth, grade two, mile and the 16th on dirt, purse of 400,000, four three-year-olds. Matt. Another horse, another Pletcher favorite. Can you beat him? I think if you do beat him, tomorrow is the time. Um, we saw it a few weeks ago at the fairgrounds when everyone was, you know, drooling all over Hoosier Philly. And this isn't an apples to apples comparison because Hoosier Philly on paper didn't have a discernible edge on the rest of the field. Forte <sighs> is very clearly the fastest horse in this race. Um, I'm going to use him as an A. I, I think he is far, far and away the most likely winner of the race. But if you, if he's going to stub his toe, I think tomorrow is the time. Once you get past that, it's okay. Well, he's going to lose. Who's going to do it? I, I think there are a number of good horses in this race. I don't know how many standouts there are. And really, in a weird way, similar to the case I was just making about Marwad. I don't know if this is going to be too much too soon for for mage but i thought the debut was awesome he showed big speed but i liked that he was able to basically take a breath midway and then kick on again i know that was seven eighths of a mile but this pedigree would suggest that that's not what he wants to do he wants to go longer good magic his offspring so far has been better going longer two turns specifically puka she was a, a turf router um and she was by big brown i, I think mage or Madge, i should say is, is I think he's a legitimate talent. And I think there's also a real scenario that depending on what legacy aisle does with the blinkers coming off, I think, I think Madge can clear to the front mage Madge. I, I don't know which one it is either way. You get who I'm talking about. Probably, probably I, Madge because a, a, a son of good magic. So I've, I've heard, I've heard multiple and I keep screwing it up either way. So I'm just, gonna yeah, but a mage, a mage performs magic. So I would say Correct. it's, it's definitely some, it's like a, I believe it's mage based on the sort of the, the wizardry kind of thing. But uh, point yeah. being, I think there's a chance that he can make the front. And if he does that, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Would it be a stunner if he got brave on the front end with that short stretch? Um, I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to use both the four and the seven equally, uh, but my pick will be the seven mage. Okay, Mage, I, I was trying to listen to uh, Pete Aiello in, 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 in the call, but uh, let's assume it's Mage, and let's go to Chris. Chris, what are you thinking in this race? Well, Pete's going to call Fort Forte, and he's going to be wrong on that one too. So we, we, we've got the authoritative ruling on that from Andrew Byer. On uh, that. Yeah, it's yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that's the dictionary definition. However, it's, it's whatever the parent calls them. 
And the, the, <laughs> the question is, is the owner called Fort, Fort or Forte? I think it's Forte. Well, I'm going to call it Fort and Mage, and I'm right. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think it's good that Matt brought up, like, who's your Philly and Fort? Because they're completely different. Um, you know, I was all all totally against who's your Philly because, first of all, she had to be faster than she'd ever run to win. And the two-year-old Phillies don't always get better, or a lot of them, especially the fast ones, um, especially the ones with early speed, don't always improve, you know, going from three to two to three. The Colts, on the other hand, especially those that have showed the ability to kind of stock and pounce and rate, they're not the, you know, one-dimensional speed balls. You know, the good ones like Fort, they develop from two to three pretty predictably. And uh, when they're much, much faster than their peers that have been running as a three-year-old, and they're going to probably just crush their opposition as a three-year-old. And, you know, he just, he has exactly the look of a horse that's a legitimate derby contender. The only knock on him I have is his, his sire violence, but He's shown he can get this distance at least, probably a mile and eighth for sure. A mile and a quarter will be the question. But um, these kind of horses come back and they run as good as they ran as a two-year-old off the bench. That's not, and that's that's like 80%, 85% cranked up because they're they're capable of running much faster now, three or and four months later. And you know, Fort is the great example of that. He is going to just annihilate this bunch. Um, because he's just much the best. Now there, you know, you did mention Mage. He's the one wild card. I think it's a giant ask. I think he's got a lot of talent. Maybe he can steal it on the front end. Uh, we'll see. But these kinds of horses fail a lot more often than they succeed. And he's not going to be a, a good price. I, I mean, he's going to be the alternative. Either he, maybe some people will go with Rocket Can are blazing sevens, but Mage is going to get a lot of action. It's not like he's going to be a big price. Um, so I don't think there's a value there. I think, you know, blazing sevens is the other one um, that kind of has the classic line. I just think he's a few notches below Fort at this point, although at a mile and a quarter, I might be making a case for blazing sevens if they both progress and get to the Derby. You know, I could see maybe making a case for Blazing Sevens to beat Fort at, in Kentucky. But in this race, off the layoff, I also, I watched the workouts, and he's just working lights out, too. Um, I think he's he's going to run big, you know, and um, he's kind of like Charge It in here. Maybe not quite as strong as Charge It, but uh, for me, you know, he's, he's one you don't want to try to beat unless you've got a really strong opinion. Uh, which I don't have. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> for the record, uh, Pete Aiello called Madge Madge. So it could it could go either way. I don't know. We have to ask the owner. Um, so now, hang. I so I had heard, and this is again, I kept screwing it up when I was talking about the horse earlier today. I had confirmation. It's it's the pronunciation of the the the, the wizard magic kind of way about it pete initially called them madge as if it was a nod to magic good magic but apparently mage is you know a mage is someone who performs magic so it, it is mage 
Long A. Long <laughs> uh, A. Let's go with that. Yeah, and, and and I would lean toward that as well. But uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, again, we can't always go by the dictionary. So correct. <laughs> you know, you you got to you got to go by the parent. Some people you know, pronounce their kids' names differently. Anyway, um, but 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 I'll go with Mage. Mage. Um, Mage has a shot, but <clears throat> I'm in agreement with Chris. I, I just don't see any reason to go against Forte. Um, he, you know, he, he, I, I had him in the race before the Breeders' Cup. I had him in the Breeders' Cup. He's 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 run fast. He he's he's done whatever he needs to win. He hasn't run too fast. He's he's working fine. He's only going to have two preps. Uh, it's not like. It's not like this is just a throwaway race. I mean, he's going to have two preps. He's probably going to win this race. Uh, you know, it it made the handicapping easy. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the the, the pick five is going to pay anything. But you know, I I I I, <clears throat> I found nothing, no reason to go against Forte. So so Forte and Charge It will bookend three prices for me in the pick five. I think this yeah, is one and of those, I'm, like, go ahead, Chris, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I think it, it's one of those sequences where if you think that, let's say, let's just look at the bookends where you've got Forte and you've got Charge It. Even if you aren't super creative in those interior three legs, you know, play play the pick five. And I, I think a lot of people don't think of it or view it this way. Play it for 15 or $20. Maybe you've only got four combinations, but it's effectively the allotment that you would have put out if you were trying to spread and catch numbers here, there, and everywhere. If you think it is just rather straightforward with some of these other races, there's no reason that you can't just press it up and, and turn, you know, a $20 investment, or I guess it would be close to a, you know, $80 investment into, you know, just shy of a thousand or somewhere thereabouts. I mean, I, I think there's, there, there's more ways than one to go about something like this and just because this is what's handed to you for a sequence like this if you believe it is formful there's no reason you still can't spend a decent profit well yeah i would play it like a pick three and just bookend it with fletcher but that pick three you want to play it looking for value so you're not going to play chalk 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 in the pick three at least most intelligent players aren't going to do that so you don't want to play this pick three as a chalk 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 so Ideally, you're looking for value in those three legs, and if you can get it, then that you know you could just play the pick three. The problem is that Gulfstream Park, you know, the pick five that we're talking about is a 15% takeout, and the pick three is 20 20%. So you know you you're you're paying you know you're paying that 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 you're losing that nice low takeout pick five if you go to the pick three. But I mean, if you do it that way and you do catch a horse like Bema's boy or those horses we had in that um, the other turf race, you know, like fast as flight or touch of class or Miss Yarwood, Yearwood, and you get another you get one of those and another price in that pick three, you know, two of the three legs, you could come out with a pretty good payout, even if you just, you know, paid a, just a $15 pick five or something, you know, you could go one one and on each end and then play you know a couple of prices in each of the other legs and it doesn't cost you much at all if you hit it it might pay pretty good 
Um, but I think and, that's and then, the way you want to play it. And then the flip side is, if for whatever reason, especially in that opening leg, because, I, I mean, is it crazy to think 80% of the pick goes through charges? Um, uh, no, not not all. If you, 90. If you beat, okay, so let's even go as far as 90. If he loses, all of a sudden, even with Forte or some of the, the more formful runners beyond that, the thing pays massive. You, you just really need to beat one of those two if you think you can. And, and maybe they both, you know, win for fun. But if one of them subs their toe, all of a sudden, this is turning into a massive, massive payout. Right. And that's the way we usually try to play it. I mean, exactly that way. You know, like who's your Philly? Beat who's your Philly? And you open up some, you know, value. Uh, so, but the problem is to me that this time, this is one of those times where the, you know, charge it is a lot stronger favorite really than who's your Philly. Same with Fort. So, and, you know, and so you got to just decide, do you want to try to beat those if you really don't think they're beatable to me in this case, I would either pass, or like I said, I would bookend it with Pletcher and then, and look for prices in the middle. But this is one I'm not going to invest a lot in, in terms of the big five. For sure. Uh, do we have any vulnerable favorites in this race? Does speak of the devil, a vulnerable favorite, do you think? A, a little. I, to me, the vulnerable favorites are red carpet ready and uh, highest honors. You know, th those are the two, I think, aren't even the most likely winners of the race, or at least aren't any more likely than several others. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with, with highest honors and astronaut. I, I don't, you know, they are, you know. But yeah, astronaut. I forgot about astronaut. Yeah, those two. They're both, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned at all if they won, but I just, you know, if you're just purely looking at the numbers uh, as far as the, the morning line is concerned and how that translates to the likelihood of them winning, I mean, highest honors, does he really win 25% of these races? I I don't think so. I, I think he's, I'll probably put him in the winner's circle right now, but I, I think he's just another horse. Um, astronaut, I could, I could see a little bit more just because his two runs with Albertrani were both really solid, much better than what he had been doing out West. Um, they coincided with longer distance racing and being a little bit more forward, but you know, it was one thing when you had him in the Turk classic at 67 to one and the red Smith at 15 to one, he, if he's going to be, you know, three to one on Saturday, it's a totally different story. I just, I just don't think he's, I, I don't think he's any value at that point, even from a pick standpoint. Um, I'm, I'm not as skeptical on, on red carpet ready. I just think he's going the right way, but I do understand, you know, it's a favorite doing something for the first time. And it's got to your initial question. Yeah. I, I don't totally trust speak of the devil. Um, she's got a few races over in Europe that are absolutely good. Wouldn't be surprised at all if, if, you know, came back and won, but I think given the likely off odds, um, I would I would classify her as a likely underlife. Yeah, if, if I was going to rank him from weakest to strongest, the weakest is this astronaut. The second weakest is red carpet ready, and the third weakest is speak of the double. That's how I'd rate him. And then the two pleasures I think are really strong, but that's how I'd rate him. If I was going to put him in order. Okay. Do you gentlemen have any plays elsewhere on the card? Spot plays. 
You can go first. Chris, I'll let you start. All right. I'm, I have one in the early part of the card um, that Matt will be covering on TVG slash FanDuel, and that's the third race. It's an allowance optional claimer going a mile and the 16th on the turf. There's a horse in there, the two-horse Olympic runner, who's going, you know, second off a layoff, um, has numbers that can win, draws the two posts, has a pretty good rider in Castellano who kind of had a resurgence here lately. He's riding better than he has in quite a while, um, which is good to see. So he should get a good trip, and he's 20-1 to on the morning line. I don't think he'll get 20-1, to but I do think he'll get maybe double-digit odds. And I think he has as good a chance to win as anybody, but maybe the one horse who who really ran a big race in his first try on turf last time out. So, you know, he's the one to beat, but at that kind of a price, you know, I'll, I'll take Olympic runner, the two horses, as a, as a real good value play in that third race. I'm going to go a little off script, and uh, I apologize in advance, but I still have work to do on the Saturday card Sunday. If you are so inclined, the the last six races, they're going to force out the rainbow, not even necessarily talking about it from that standpoint. The nightcap, race 11 on Sunday, it's a maiden special weight race. You've got a number of high-profile outfits, big pedigrees, you name it. Uh, Motion's got runners in there. Chad's got firsters. Clement's got two first-time starters. I'm just now seeing the morning line. I, I'd be absolutely floored if you got this number. But the seven king secret. She was going to win her first start at Gulfstream on January 22nd. I feel relatively confident about that. I'm sure some folks will argue maybe she would have run second or third. But I feel pretty good that she was going to fire up the inside. She had a really nice trip beneath Tyler Gaffleone, and she just got sawed off in the worst possible way to the point where in an eighth of a mile, she went from third, a neck behind, to almost nine lengths back, finishing ninth. Brendan Walsh isn't a trainer that wins first out of the box. They typically take a little bit of time to come forward. She was bet that day also, like she was supposed to run. She was bet down to six to one. Maybe the fig and maybe the running line, you know, throws people off the scent. She is far, far likelier than a 20 to one horse. I, I again, I, I get it. It's such a, it's this very deep competitive field. I, I don't even want to throw a number out there because it'll sound silly. I just think King secret. I'm probably making a, a ridiculous win bet that I, I, I shouldn't be making on her. I, I, she was, if you haven't seen the tape, go back and watch the replay Gulfstream race three, January 22nd, and tell me that she wasn't going to at least fly for the win. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I have not had a chance to look at the rest of the card, so I do not have a spot play, but uh, thank you, Matt, for stretching it out till Sunday. That means I, I could be able to tweet about, uh, winner winning picks all the way until Sunday night. Let's I see. apologize yeah, for that throwing horse. a monkey wrench into things. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's okay. The Just do, do, you, do you have any questions? You know, do you have any spot plays for next week? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm off to uh, <laughs> I go I go home for a few days and then I go to Tampa for the Tampa Bay Derby next weekend. So um, I'm looking forward to that and uh, we'll we'll see. I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I, I'm at the point where I just want to see a three-year-old with what I would call more of like an authoritative performance. We've had a number of just sort of good performances. I want to see somebody really step up in the fountain of youth, whether it's Forte or somebody else. 
All right. Well, yeah, I think it will be Forte, but we I'm do have say it's Fort. But <laughs> well, we we do have three preps tomorrow: uh, the San Felipe, the Gotham, and the the Fountain of Youth. So there's a good chance that at least one uh, shining star will come out of it. And uh, on that note, I would like to thank our guests, Matt Bernier. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. I always enjoy coming and chatting with you guys. You're two of the best, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. All right. That will conclude show number 215 of the Sport of Kings pod. Good luck at Gulfstream and wherever else you play, and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout. I'll see you on Sport of Kings. Idiot.